Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday the 20th of April, which means it is The Briefing's first birthday. Yeah, it's been a year since we started this podcast, started it back in the depths of the COVID uncertainty, and we're still here, thanks to you, basically. So today, Jan, Annika and I will have a little celebration by answering your questions. Annika, will there be a federal election this year? And if so, can ScoMo win it? I saw you lose your sh** over Megan and Harry. What's with the new cranky Tom? <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's a, a good question and a tough question. I will try and explain myself in just a moment. First, Katrina Blouse is here for today's headlines. Hello, Tom. Well, mass vaccination centres and a push to get most people immunised by Christmas. State and federal leaders have agreed to a reset of Australia's vaccine rollout. There are strong, strong arguments for the bring forward of over 50s um, with the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Uh, Yesterday was their first of the twice weekly meetings yesterday, the so-called war footing, where the Prime Minister and the state's premiers uh, agreed to bring forward the vaccination of all people aged 50 to 70. Yeah, and so the PM also revealed a plan to get the bulk of people who are under 50 immunised in the final three months of the year a 12-week sprint uh, to be able to do that safely and effectively. Yeah, what do you make of this? I I feel feel like it's still a lot of words and and targets. I I, I didn't even see a timeline for... um the setup of these mass vaccination centres. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've heard people say that the biggest challenge of all is going to get people's confidence in the vaccines, mm. whatever that vaccine may be, back on track. So still so much work left to do, Tom. Yeah, and as that happens, we've seen the travel bubble reopen to New Zealand yesterday. So we are still, you know, opening up more aspects of our lives. There were very emotional scenes as people arrived in New Zealand for the first time in over a year. It's amazing. I have no words. I'm just so grateful that I could come back. I'm like shaking right now. I loved watching everyone's reactions yeah. in airports around the country. It was like watching a real life love, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Australians were allowed to travel to New Zealand quarantine free. It was the first time in 400 days yesterday. Wow. So people meeting grandchildren for the first time. Just beautiful stuff. Yeah, the Kiwi Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was among those waiting to welcome people at Wellington Airport. The spirit of, of welcome that is here amongst everyone that's working here, it's been incredible. More than 30 flights departed from Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne yesterday and the major airlines say they will continue to provide hundreds of flights a week across the ditch. Yeah, they'll be ramping that up in time for winter for all that tourism heading across to the New Zealand mountains. Um, Qantas CEO Alan Joyce um, welcomed the opening of the bubble. He said he'd like to see more arrangements like this with other countries. Maybe you could see other bubbles to places like Singapore, Japan, Taiwan, Korea and then eventually we're going to have to get comfortable about what is the process to opening up to the United States and to the UK. Yeah, I heard uh, Alan Joyce talking at a press conference last week and he was also mentioning um, Pacific Islands and potentially Fiji as being one of the next cabs off the rank, which Mm. will please a lot of people who've missed going to Bali. (laughs) I'm actually stinging for a trip to Bali. As much as I'm excited about going to (laughs) the mountains in New Zealand, Bali is next on the list. Yeah, Alan Joyce kind of reminds me at the moment of Peter Volandis with the NRL last year where he was having to sort of push ahead of the curve to try and reopen things and get back to normal. But, you know, obviously coming up against lots of lots of variables and lots of uncertainties. 
Yeah, with states yet to agree on home quarantine rules, uh, Queensland Premier saying she she doesn't want to commit to anything yet. Mm. So um, we need to get all the states agreeing on how to handle international travellers when they get back into the country. And the government's announced a royal commission into veteran suicide after resisting calls for years. A royal commission into defence and veteran suicide, a process by which veterans and families can find some comfort but it obviously can't replace the loss. Yeah, that's the PM Scott Morrison there announcing that long-awaited commission yesterday. From 2001 to 2018, 465 Australians who'd served in the armed forces over the previous 17 years died by suicide. Those figures are according to the government. Yeah, they're so tragic. Uh, That figure of 465 suicides dwarfs the number of people that actually died in service. There were 41 deaths in service in Afghanistan. So, 10 times more people have died by suicide than actually serving in Afghanistan. Yeah, so many people wanted this Royal Commission. Uh, An online petition has over 400,000 signatures. That one was started back in 2019. Senator Jackie Lambie first called for this Royal Commission back in 2015. Yeah, and so the Prime Minister had rejected those calls for several years and instead he'd floated plans for a permanent national commissioner. And then as of yesterday... Um, He announced that they'd changed their position and the Royal Commission will be held this year and will work alongside that commissioner. So many people, as we mentioned, have been pushing for this. One of them is Julianne Finney. She lost her veteran son, Dave Stafford Finney, to PTSD-related suicide and she started that petition for the commission. She told the ABC she really welcomes the announcement. I would love to show that we saved one life. The more we save, the better. Oh, it's, it's such an emotional one hearing about all those young soldiers that came back and just couldn't find their way in life and really struggled. And there's a lot of complexity to this as well and the way that we look at it because often um, the issues don't arise immediately in, yeah. in the years after they return or reintegrate into society. Mm. I interviewed a Vietnam vet last year and he said that his PTSD really flared up 20 years after he wow. returned. And there's tension in the US right now uh, as the closing arguments in the trial of Derek Chauvin are being made in the Minnesota court. Yes, gosh, you wouldn't want to be on that jury, would you? Former police officer Chauvin is facing three charges, including second-degree murder over the death of George Floyd last year, and he could face up to 40 years in prison. Yeah, tensions are pretty high in Minneapolis. Um, As that trial was happening, there was another shooting of a black man, Dante Wright, which just escalated tensions even more. The attorney for the family of George Floyd told ABC America that Chauvin must be held accountable. We cannot condone this excessive use of force, America. We cannot condone this inhumanity, America. Big trials like this, um, closing arguments can take a while. Um, They've taken hours and hours in this case because I guess they just want to cover off every point and have that jury as informed as possible to make the decision. And history's been made overnight. Uh, NASA has flown a helicopter on Mars. Altimeter data confirms that Ingenuity has performed its first flight, the first flight of a powered aircraft on another planet. 
<laughs> Talk about the ultimate toy, right? Yeah. This helicopter drone called Ingenuity was airborne for less than a minute overnight, but still a big achievement. NASA says it's the first powered controlled flight by an aircraft on another planet. Yeah, it's expected to tank at least three more flights this week. Uh, the rotorcraft was carried to Mars in the belly of NASA's Perseverance rover, uh, which touched down in February. One person very keen for this helicopter flight to happen was Australian geologist uh, Dr Abigail Oldwood. We spoke to her on Monday's episode of The Briefing. She's the principal investigator for another instrument on board that Perseverance rover, and she's been waiting for the helicopter to fly first so her instrument, Pixel, can be commissioned after that. And her, her instrument is asking a big question. It's, it's searching for evidence of life on Mars. The helicopter is just a technology demonstration. And when I say just, I mean, wow, what a technology demonstration it is. <laughs> I like that. She's sort of almost talking that instrument down because hers is actually finding out a much bigger question about life on Mars. And she was the first woman and the first Australian, Katrina, to ever be a principal investigator for NASA on a Mars mission. Which is so cool. And this little drone, well, not little, this drone flight is also amazingly cool. But I just kind of go, why are we still searching for life on Mars when we have never found any evidence that there has ever been life on Mars or is life on Mars? And so much money has gone into this, but huge question that I guess we all still in our imaginations want the answer to. So you reckon it's time to give up searching for life on Mars? (laughs) I think there are bigger fish to fry in the world right now. Like making the next Mad Max movie. Um, <laughs> the latest installment of... Good segue. Of, yeah. Um, this is very exciting. Nearly as exciting as a, a drone helicopter flying on Mars. Um, it looked like it was more exciting for Gladys Berejiklian and the New South Wales <laughs> Premier. That's for sure. She was absolutely... Giddy, frothing over Chris Hemsworth yesterday as they made this announcement. Transfixed. Well, she is only human and I think (laughs) I'd probably have the same reaction if I was standing next to Chris Hemsworth. Uh, This movie is going to have a budget of more than $350 Do you like the Mad Max movies, Tom? Yeah, I do. Do you? I've never seen any of them. (laughs) But now, I'm going to be honest, now that Chris Hemsworth is in the next one, I probably will go and see this. I'll be sitting with Gladys. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, yeah, it's um, pretty exciting. I mean, the last one, Fury Road, was amazing. It was meant to be filmed out the back of Broken Hill, but it rained too much. So they had to go to Namibia um, near South Africa, where it was actually um, dry. Yeah, I think adding um, Chris Hemsworth, who's just on fire, to, to that that franchise will be incredible. Yeah. Um, and fantastic for our economy as well and our film industry. All right, thank you for that, Katrina. We'll speak to you again soon. Um, Annika and Jan are jumping in for a special one-year celebration of the briefing. All right, well, this is a special episode today, isn't it, Jan Fran? Hey, it's (laughs) our birthday. We turn one today. Happy birthday to us. Yeah, what an amazing journey. Um, Annika Smethurst, what's... What's your standout memory from the last year? I'm going to be a bit cheeky and not say just one episode. I think because we've all been stuck. Uh, usually I'm a big traveller and I love meeting people overseas. I've got a lot of friends and family overseas, but I haven't been able to actually see them or hear from them. So I've really enjoyed the episodes where we've taken our listeners and us to those places that we haven't been able to access to hear what's happening and what life is like in the UK, whether that's people stuck, you know, that want to get back and and can't or just 
hearing even the positive stuff of how, you know, lockdowns have worked and, and the sort of success that's happened with COVID overseas. All we want to do is come home, be safe and make sure everyone else is safe and that we're safe at the same time. Yeah, and even Jam, speaking of travelling overseas, we went into a, a pimple popping um, situation as well. <laughs> I like that Annika's actually a real journalist and says real solid meaty stories. My favourite story was when we interviewed Dr Pimple Popper and talked about popping pimples because I love doing that. People watch a lot of these videos and I think it's really surprising to people who are not what we call popaholics, but they actually watch it to relax them. It seems like it creates a really big reaction to people, whether it's like either disgust or they're obsessed with it. It blew my mind, that interview. Like, I felt really uncomfortable. Yeah, and so you <laughs> should. And then we looked at pimple popping videos all morning at 5am. Large blackheads. Kind of have to squeeze them a little bit. Look at that one. You were storing something in here. I didn't hate it. <laughs> So that was probably my fave interview. I was looking forward to, you know, when you're like starstruck. Mm. I was oddly starstruck by talking to Dr. Pimple Popper. She had Pimple millions of followers, I think. <laughs> the Dr. Pimple Popper, who I stalk on Instagram all the time. So that's probably my fave episode. Um, yeah, interviewing Mary Trump was probably mine. That was fascinating oh, yeah. to hear the family story behind Donald Trump. And I've actually been watching Succession lately as well. Ooh. So those kind of those powerful father figures and the way they influence their children is is so interesting. And she was so open. I wasn't sure what she was going to say in that interview and listen to it. And I was like, girl, you're spilling some tea she on your uncle. Back. Yeah. The worst thing that you could be in my family, I mean, certainly according to my grandfather, whose opinion was the only one that mattered, was a loser. So this is a narcissistic injury, the likes of which Donald has never experienced. And I guess over the last year, there's been massive personal changes for each of us as well. I guess we share little bits of them every now and again. And it's funny, I, I find it interesting how much people respond to that um, in our Instagram messages and stuff. They're mm. like, oh, what's what's going on in life? And I, I think the award for the most life changes definitely goes to Annika. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this has been basically my whole life. <laughs> I would like to say that this year was different, but I just, I do a lot. But look, in the last year, I was let off from the police, which was overwhelmingly the best Huge. thing that happened. And, you know, got married and moved and all that other stuff, which was great. I you say off- that like it's a minor <laughs> detail, Annika. Like, oh, last year I was just let off by the AFP, as you do. <laughs> I often joke to my partner because I was I got engaged within, you know, a matter of weeks of being let off by the police. And I just can't quite decide which was the better thing that happened. And he doesn't even take that personally <laughs> because it was just such a terrible time and it was such a relief. So obviously, you know, everybody loves the wedding. It was all very nice. But, oh, my God, my freedom. It's great. Yeah. yeah. He must have been like, gee, um, Annika's in so much better mood since she's not going to jail. <laughs> I might, Pretty I might much. They're definitely related. <laughs> For this special one-year episode, um, we're going to do um, something that's always fun, which is to take uh, questions from you, our listeners. And, and thank you, by the way, so much for coming on the journey with us. It seems that people, once they, they start listening and it becomes a daily habit, they stay with us, which is yeah, we love that. We Thank love you that. so much. Yeah. yeah, and we love you guys sliding into our DMs as well because it just reminds us that you're real. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to answer a bunch of your questions. Um, we've been receiving them through the DMs. Some people have even sent audio messages like Tom. Annika, will there be a federal election this year? And if so, can ScoMo win it? That is such a good question. There was a lot of talk earlier in the year when everybody was on the federal government's bandwagon saying how wonderfully they'd done. 
that Scott Morrison would go to an early election and I'm writing a book about him and the one thing I know about Scott Morrison is that he really is a political animal. Um, he, he just understands sort of the internal machinations of how to run campaigns and, you know, that whole Scotty from marketing thing. It's true. He really does understand that element of it. So I thought of, sort of thought he might go to an early election. Then we have had terrible women issues in Canberra. We are also having no success with our vaccine rollout. So I think the chances of us going to election this year are extremely low. I think you're all off the hook. Don't (laughs) worry. You don't have to vote until early next year. Now, I still think he actually is in the box seat. Incumbency is king at the moment. If you're in power, it's this huge advantage because in times of crisis, we all freak out and we all vote for the government's in. We don't want change. It happens during times of war. It happens after terror attacks. And I just think he still is in the box seat. All right, we've got another question coming in from Kel. I saw you lose your shit over Megan and Harry. What's with the new cranky Tom? Oh, yeah, that's clearly a question for you. What is with the new cranky Tom? Good question. Well, I hit 40 recently, so that could be something to do with it. Look, I, I think Kel is referring to, I got a bit excited or enthusiastic in a Channel 9 segment a few weeks ago around the Oprah Winfrey, Harry and Meghan interview. And um, I was making the point, and, you know, I don't think I was cranky, but I was making the point that... Um, I just don't think the interview was the right decision. Like I understand that they've they've been through a lot and they feel slighted by the the sort of machinations of the royal family, but I, I didn't see how doing that interview and slamming them publicly was going to help the situation. Um, you know, potentially I was a little bit riled up because The Crown had gotten me so emotional about the royal family. <laughs> oh, that documentary, The Crown. <laughs> yeah, that historical documentary, The Crown. <laughs> I'm a little bit with you, Tom, on this one. I think it's a really short-term strategy. It's also to lob some pretty serious accusations out there Mm. without knowing that they will have no right of reply and that's not how they operate is an interesting strategy too. But look, Megan wanted to speak her truth. She said a lot about her truth and we've all heard it now. So I hope they're happy and they can go and live their life in LA. Yeah, oh, man, they're not the first to do this. Like, what's his face abdicated the throne and ran off with an American divorcee? That was huge. And Diana, panned out badly. Diana spoke to the media. 15 years after being panned married. Out fine. Panned out fine in the end. Diana spoke to the media. Fergie spoke to the media, did those Weight Watchers ads. Do what you got to do, babe, I reckon. Yeah, but it, it comes down to what it means for Harry's relationship with his family, and that's the bit that concerns me most, that... Why are you so concerned about it? I've grown up with these guys. I watched them walk behind the coffin. <laughs> I was, you know, I was working in KFC when Diana died. You know, I've, I've watched the whole story. They, they feel like cousins. They're not, though. No, they're not. All right, <laughs> next question. Jan, we see celebrities and people in the oh. media getting harassed on social media. It's a minefield. Would you recommend a career in the media? I guess it depends on why you want a career in the media. I guess I'd, I'd put it back on... Um, and this is Rash. Thank you so much for writing that question in, Rash. Um, I guess I'd just ask you, why do you want a career in the media? Uh, do you feel like it's something that, I don't know, you're sort of driven by a high purpose to do or are you just interested in the work or you're doing it to meet people or you're doing it for the fame? I don't know. Some people do do it for the fame and or the money, which, let me tell you, not that much as it turns out. <laughs> so I guess it's all about your reasons. There's a lot of scrutiny on people now in a way that there wasn't 10 years ago just because everyone's so public and individual and, and on social media. Do you think, though, Jan, that you could actually be in the media and just stay off Twitter and avoid 90% of the harassment? 
I tried to stay off Twitter. I deactivated my Twitter account um, and I found it too difficult as a journalist to actually not be on Twitter because it still is a very useful tool. So, As a newsfeed mostly? As a newsfeed. It's very good for um, contacts. It's very good for just being able to stay on top of the conversation even mm. though you're not personally engaging with it. Mel wrote a uh, question for Tom. The biggest name you've ever interviewed? Uh, definitely David Attenborough. That was um, pretty wild. Yeah, two years ago. Um, we sat down in a hotel room in um, deep in West London, um, around the corner from his house, and chatted all things climate change and, and climate policy, Greta Thunberg, the Great Barrier Reef, uh, and it was amazing. We had about 50 minutes going head to head. He was incredibly enthusiastic. He actually turned up early for the interview. The camera crew were having a rest in the restaurant, just having a bite to eat, and they're like, so David's here. Like, what do you mean he's here? He's like, he's in the chair waiting for you. <laughs> oh, wow. David Attenborough is waiting for you? Yeah, just sitting there in the chair, ready ready to Diva behaviour, Tom. Yeah. Uh, well, look. You left David Attenborough waiting? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, anyway, he was still patient and it performed incredibly well. And then as soon as it was over, he got the hell out of there. Uh, here's one. Riley for Jan. I love your taste in clothes. I follow you on social media. Oh, thanks. Do you have a favourite outfit? Oh, hey, Riley. Thanks for your question. My favourite outfit would probably be, so I collect a lot of old stuff that belong to people that I know are are dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some still alive. My mum's still alive. God bless her. Tom, (laughs) don't put her in an early grave. My favourite outfit is probably the one that she actually bought in 1984 for her honeymoon and it's a beautiful two-piece silk. It looks kind of very Kendoni. It's a skirt and a, and, a, and a silk top and it's got this little silk belt that comes with it and it was just in pristine condition because she only ever wore it once in 1984 when she went on a honeymoon to Syria, which um, sadly was, was not the war-ravaged country that it is now. And so she's kept it just completely pristine, covered in plastic, as my mum loves to do, cover all things in plastic. <laughs> and I've worn it a couple of times and I just love every time I wear it. It's good vibes, good energy, and yeah. it's just like beautiful. Little piece of history. Yeah, it is. Oh, that's cool. It's it's so great that there's awesome stories behind those yeah those garments. Totally. Um, last question, Annika. We've seen and heard all the scandals from Canberra Parliament House. Do you think there's more to come? Have we just scratched the surface? How big is the problem? Right, I'm going to be controversial here. I don't think this is just a Parliament problem. Mm. There are 200 journos in the press gallery, right? So if you had that sort of scrutiny on any workplace, I reckon you're going to find a few issues. So, yeah, there does seem to be an issue in the way a lot of um, this stuff has been handled and in most cases poorly. And there is always another story. Every time I have worked, I've worked in politics for 10 years, every time there's some big controversial scandal, some of them I don't even remember because it just happens so often that you think there can't be another one. It's got to be boring out there. And then they come up again. So, of course, there's going to be more. I think we need to encourage real humans to go into parliament and real humans make mistakes. I think you can be a really good cabinet minister and a terrible husband and vice versa. You can be a terrible cabinet minister and the world's best husband. So I don't think we should demand perfection from these people because I think it will have an inverse effect that it'll it'll stop normal punters with problems like all of us going in and seeking election. And I also think when you put that sort of personal level of scrutiny on people, why would anyone want this career? That was one of my favourite episodes. Why the hell would you go into politics, you know? You get a lot of access to power. You see a lot of amazing things. And I think that can go to people's heads. Some people don't handle it well. And then you end up with people behaving poorly. 
I, I think scrutiny is important. I think um, expecting perfection is not. Well. Happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> to and us. It, happy birthday to us. And thanks again to all of you for tuning in. You're the reason that we're still here a year down the track and hopefully we'll be here another year down the track with you guys in tow. Yeah, and also a big thanks to all the people we work with. Um, we have Jamila Risby doing the weekend episode and her producer, Tate. We also have Katrina Blowers chiming in from Brisbane as a co-host, executive producer, Dan Mullins, uh, Liam Kennedy doing daily producing, Brooke Lowther, our producer from Queensland, Matt Curry, our audio producer, and uh, Sam and Nick, our supervising producers. Um, yeah, it's a huge team that actually pulls this together here at SCA uh, Listener. Um, so thank you to all of them and thank you. Listener.